<laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Cheers from the Grave. I'm Erica. And I'm Stephanie. And Nicole is off in New York. I know. How lucky. She's so lucky. However, she did say that it's raining there, so. She did. Yeah. So. Well, I hope that the skies clear up for her. I agree. When I also hope it does not like snow on her. Oh my God. Because that would be the worst. I would laugh. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, even she so. is away having fun. Yup. And we are here. Yes. So Erica, <laughs> how are you doing? I know you just had surgery. Yeah, I am recovering from a getting a replacement disc in my neck between the C5 and C6. Okay. Um, I was involved in three car accidents, all of which were not my fault. Um, they were all rear-ended. Um, and it basically just caused a nice little trickle effect of, trickle effect of, you know, my disc just getting more fucked up. Um, I can't go into detail because of lawsuits that I'm currently in with them. But, um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, for the most part, I'm doing okay. Um, I have a nice, lovely scar on my neck now that I have to make up excuses for, so vampire by yeah. a fight with a tiger. I was going to say, I mean, that doesn't really look like, it's like a slice. So I'm thinking about maybe like I got into like this argument with this like mob gang or something. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> we'll I think was, of something. We'll think of something. Yes. So, but uh, no, I'm doing okay. And I do have to apologize for the listeners for um, the lack of uploading over the last few weeks, um, you know, since Christmas came back and then mm-hmm. I was work for four days and then turned around and turned right around and had my surgery. So it's been eventful. It's been eventful. And so we haven't really gotten around to like editing as editing as quickly as we wanted to mm-hmm. and uploading as quickly as we wanted to. So mm-hmm. our numbers suffered for it and I apologize. That's our fault. But hopefully here on out we we'll, can get everything. We'll get back on yeah. track and we will finally uh, you know be back into the swing of things. So, yeah, but no, how are you, how are you doing, Steph? Doing good. Um, yeah, just work, mm. work, work, work. Yeah. And then stress and then work and then getting <laughs> over being sick and then, oh, it's just everything. And on top of it, that coronavirus. Yeah, I was just going to say. I mean, we found our plague for 2020. Oh, my God. <laughs> Bring on the bird masks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they closed uh, Disneyland Shanghai. Yeah, I saw that. Indefinitely, so they don't know when they're going to open that back up. And no. Oof. I'm wondering what it's going to mean for, because I know that Universal's in the middle of um, making uh, building Hong Kong, mm-hmm. Universal Hong Kong, so. Yeah, who I knows? I mean, I don't know what's happening with that either. Yeah. So, that's crazy, man. I know. Oof. Yeah. Oof, indeed. <laughs> um... Anyway, on the topic of podcasts and all the other chats, I don't know why. (laughs) Um, I do, I would like to make a special shout out. We do have a new Patreon donor. (laughs) Her name is Heather, Heather F. So, yay. Thank you so much, Heather. Heather had joined our $5 tier. So, thank you so much for throwing money at us and believing in us, it makes us very happy. Yes. So thank you for that. So hooray. Now that's it. now we're getting like, once we start getting more Patreon donors, there's so much that I want to do. Like yeah. I want to do a raffle. I want to do like Q&A stuff. I want to yeah. do topic ideas. Like 
but there's only so much that I can do. Yes, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> until I get more people, until we get more people. So, yeah. So if you are interested, please join our Patreon. Yes, please. All that links will be in the show notes attached to this podcast with whatever you're listening to. So anyway, let's uh, jump into it. All right. Cool. Um, Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I'll go first. Okay. (laughs) You seemed a little like, uh. (laughs) No, if you want to go, you can go. I'll go. Yeah, I'll go first. I'll go first. So, um. I, I have a bad habit of doing things last minute. It's always been a bad thing of mine. Homework, everything, mm-hmm. last minute. Uh, I'm right there with you. I am. <laughs> in fact, I just searched for my topics. So. <laughs> Yo, so this is how on point we are, you guys. <laughs> yeah, we're so on point. Um, and you guys are probably like, Erica, you're on leave. You probably have nothing else. You have nothing else to do. You could just literally see, like, just sit there and research all day and it's like no but I'm in pain and on meds and I'm just gonna sit here and crochet my large blanket and which is beautiful by the way you. I want a commission blanket from you <laughs> <laughs> I picked up crocheting uh well I've been crocheting I've crocheted before but I picked up a whole mess of the yarn and crochet stuff because I was like I am not gonna sit here and do nothing. And doing absolutely nothing and yeah. just watch TV. I need to somehow keep a little bit busy because, you know, idle hands and all. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, I started making this. I was like, well, I'm just going to make a blanket. So I just started making a blanket, and I've been working on it for the past, like, three weeks. And it's huge now. It is so pretty. Yeah, I'm on my last skein of yarn for it. Ooh. So I think once that skein is done, I'm... You're done. I'm calling it done. Okay. Yeah. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no. So, but no, of course, I wait until the last minute to do this. Um, so I was thinking, I was like, what am I going to do for a topic? And I was like, how about the history of the Ouija board? <sighs> because we all know how we feel about Ouija boards. I absolutely have, hate them. I have a very love-hate relationship with yes. them. Very love-hate relationship because I know the dangers that can come with them. Yes. But at the same time, I'm just like, but I want to talk to ghosts. <laughs> but I want to try. But I want to try. Which reminds me of the meme, which was like, um, if you guys don't use a Ouija board to s- update me on the memes, I'm going to haunt all of you. And Yo. that is 100% me, though. I'm going to move my mic here for a second. Yeah, no, totally. That would be... That would be me. <laughs> I'd be like, just update me. <laughs> but um, yeah, so we all know that Ouija boards, you know, what they look like. They have the alphabet, the numbers, yes, no, hello, goodbye for the most mm-hmm. part. Um, so, but the thing is the use of automatic writing is generally what it's called. Um, with boards goes far back as China. So around like 1100 or yeah, 1100 AD in historical documents of the Song Dynasty. So they called the method Fuji, which translates to planchet writing. Um, they actually, the use of this writing as a superficial means of necromancy okay. and communion with the spirit world uh, continued even under special rituals and supervisions was a central practice of the, I'm going to butcher this, uh, Quan Zen School, so it's Q U A N Z H E N 
school uh, until it was forbidden by the, uh, I want to say Qing Dynasty, K, no, excuse me, Q-I-N-G Dynasty. So basically it goes, it can date it back like as far back as China. So that's like as far back as we know it goes. Um, Apparently there were also similar methods that were also utilized by ancient India, Greece, Rome, medieval Europe and such. Um, It didn't really come stateside until about the American Civil War, roughly. Um, There was a uh, spiritualist movement where mediums began to employ various means to communicate with the dead. Uh, Mediums did significant business, actually, with allowing survivors to contact lost loved ones. So, you know, after the American Civil War, all these people are just like, oh, my God. And so these mediums were like, huh, business niche that needs to be filled. Yes. And... (laughs) Started to see know, a need, fill a see need, see a need, fill a need. <laughs> yep. So even though the Ouija itself, as we know it today, was created and named in Baltimore, Maryland, in 1890, the use of talking boards was so common by 1886 that news reporter uh, that news reported the phenomenon taking over a spiritualist camp in Ohio. And it wasn't until a man named Elijah Bond had the idea to patent a planchet sold with a board with the alphabet in May, uh, on May 28th of 1890. And that's basically when it started to break the commercial market roughly. So he's just like, so this guy (laughs) was like, took something that everybody was already like aware of and was using because they were just, because it's like, this is a technique that we know. And so he basically just took that and patented it. And I'm like, you, you, you. men, this, <laughs> sorry, that wasn't, no, that, that, that wasn't your thing. I'm just like, why, why? Yeah. Yeah. So he was then credited for invent, for basically inventing it. I'm like, you didn't invent it. This is something that was dated back to China in 1100. You idiot. This is not, you didn't invent this. You basically just put a patent on it to it made sell it your own and make and money. Then, yeah. yeah. So um, there was an employee of Bond uh, called William Fold, and this is where it really takes off. He took over production of the product and in 1901 started his own production under the name of Ouija. So another man, Charles Kennard, who was the founder of Kennard Novelty Company, which manufactured William's talking boards and where William also worked as a varnisher, claimed he learned the name Ouija from using the board and that it said it was an ancient Egypt, ancient Egyptian meaning for good luck. <laughs> the look on Stephanie's face mm. is like, uh-huh. Okay. Okay, sir. I see where you're That's go- what ghosts want us to think. I know. When we right? use a Ouija board. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, that's what we all say to people when they are like, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> and this is not a not a good good luck, like mm. oh, good luck. Mm. Um, when William took over production, he populi- popularized, I can't talk today, the more widely accepted um, etymology that it came from a combination from the French and German words for yes. Apparently. So, hmm. yeah. Um, William, uh, William Fold's F-U-L-D, F-U-L-D, I cannot pronounce his name, uh, his, uh, became synonymous with the Ouija board as Fold reinvented its history, claiming that he himself had invented it. Yeah. 
So apparently this was a hot thing to be like, no, I invented it. No, I invented it. No, I invented it. It's like talking words have been around forever. Yeah. Shut your face. (laughs) Um, There was some scientific experiments to see what exactly made the planchet move. So this is where we kind of get into the actual science of it all. Um, to where part of me is like, yeah, that makes sense. And another part of me is like, no, demons. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, there were some scientific experiments to see what exactly made the planchet move on its own, uh, to which they said it was a result of the ideomotor response, which is a psychological phenomenon wherein the subject makes motions unconsciously. So a scientist by the name of Michael Faraday first described this effect in 1853 while, investig- uh, while investigating table turning. Have you heard of table turning before? I believe I have. So table turning was another form of communication with the spirits mm-hmm. that was utilized during seances. Basically, everybody would, everybody would um, gather around this round table and basically like have it lifted off the ground in a sense. Yes. And then they would basically say the letters of the alphabet. And when the table, like at a certain letter, if it was the correct letter, it would turn, it would like turn or it would tilt at the response of that letter. So it's like, if it's like A, B, C, and all of a sudden it tilts at C, then that means the first letter of the word is C or something like that. So, um, but anyway, that's how M- Michael Faraday uh, first came around to that. So uh, various studies have been produced recreating the effects of the board in the lab and showing that the subjects were moving the planchet involuntarily. In 2012, a study found that when answering yes or no questions, the board's use was significantly more accurate than guesswork, which suggested it might draw on an unconscious mind. Some critics noted that the messages spelled out by spirits were similar to whatever was going through the minds of the subjects. And according to a professor of neurology, Terence Hines, in his book, Pseudoscience and the Paranormal of 2003, and I quote, the planchet is guided by unconscious muscular extortions like those responsible for table movement. Nonetheless, in both cases, the illusion that the object, table, or planchet is moving under its own control is often extremely powerful and sufficient to convince many people that spirits are truly at work. The unconscious muscle movements responsible for the moving tables and Ouija board phenomena seen at seances are examples of a class of phenomena are due to what psychologists call a disassociative state. So a disassociative state is one in which consciousness is somehow divided or cut off from some aspects of the individual's normal cognitive, motor, or sensory functions, end quote. Ouija boards, of course, were already criticized by scholars early on, being described in a 1927 journal as remains of primitive belief systems and a con to part fools from their money. Insert civil war. Um, another 1921 journal described reports of Ouija boards' findings as half-truths and suggested that their inclusion in national newspapers at the time lowered the national discourse overall. So, of course, the board itself, again, has been mm-hmm. criticized by several Christian denominations. Uh, since the Ouija board is far from harmless as it is a form of divination, uh, as said by the Roman Catholic Christian apologet- uh, Apologetics Organization, um, Catholic bishops in Micronesia, which is actually a subregion of Oceania off near Polynesia, okay. um, they actually called for the boards to be banned 
and warn congregations that they were talking to demons while using the board. Um, yes, mm-hmm. most likely are. So I, this is like one of the first times I'll actually agree with the church yeah. <laughs> when it comes to like stuff like this. Yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> Um, a church in Wisconsin also forbid, uh, forbade the use of the board as it would be a violation of the Ten Commandments. Okay. I'm sitting here thinking, what commandment? Probably like idling, like raising idle to false gods or something. But you're not really awesome. praising a false god. No, you're just trying to communicate. You're just with communicating. Them. But you're not really communicating. You just, I, I don't know. know. I don't know. Someone answer that question for us. Please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, in 2001, Ouija boards were... Uh, Ouija boards. Oh, my God. Ah, yes. The summer I was born on a Ouija board. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what a glorious summer that was. It was very hot. Hotter than Satan's ass. Mm. <laughs> in 2001, Ouija boards were burned in Alamo, Alamo Gordo, New Mexico, by fundamentalist groups alongside Harry Potter books as they represented symbols of witchcraft. I need people to just stop. Right? Oh, my God. Right? It's because it's a fear of something of the unknown. It's a fear of the unknown, and it's a fear of not understanding it's the fully. fear of something that's different, yep. and it's stupid. Mm-hmm. They also believe that the board reveals information that should only be in God's hands. And so because of that, it was a tool of Satan. (sighs) (laughs) So, like, here's the thing, right? We understand that Ouija boards can be dangerous. Mm -hmm. If not used properly, you can release something into this realm that should not be in this realm. However, at the same time, if you know what you're doing and you do and you, um, you know, protect yourself and take the steps necessary to protect yourself, then you'll be fine. And you'll have nothing to worry about. Exactly. As long as you protect yourself and you open properly and you close properly and please make sure that you're closing properly. Yes. Then you'll be fine. But... But seriously. Yes. <laughs> um, of course, because of all the religious objections, the Ouija board have in turn given rise to the type of folklore in communities where they circulate. Um, they have also been cautionary tales that the, bar, that the board opens a door to evil spirits and turn the game into a subject of supernatural dare, especially for young people. No shit. <laughs> <laughs> but at some point in time, it was, you know, then trademarked to, like, the game itself was then trademarked to Parker Brothers and then over to Hasbro. And it's recommended for ages 8 plus. So, you know, as that meme <laughs> says, you actually, now you have to be 21 to drink and smoke, but you can be 8 and up to summon a demon. <laughs> it can be 18 to go to war, 21 to drink and smoke, 8 what? to summon eight. a demon. Yep. Yeah, you have to be at perfect age. Yeah, Emma's got a few years to go till she can oh, summon no. her first demon. Yeah, yeah. no, <laughs> <laughs> she's she's a little demon on her own. <laughs> we need another one. So yeah, that is the little brief history blurb of the Ouija board. Nice. Yeah, that was very insightful. I uh, still, I just hate the fact that you know the white men. Yeah. Had to come and patent it. 
yep, of course, because it's like, mm. this looks like something I can profit from. And Therefore, it's all about I'm monetary game. From, yep. Welcome to America. Welcome to America, where we take everybody's money. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> I don't know. <sighs> so my little corp is not going to be anything related to the Ouija board. <laughs> That's fine. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. Um, but I did kind of want to do a little um, blurb about well, Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. Just passed. Yes. And so I've been really into the African-American history in America mm-hmm. a lot lately. By the way, I love your nails. Thank I you. just noticed them. Oh, my God. <laughs> Thank you. That's they a- are um, press-on nails because <laughs> your girl can't afford the real kind. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> I totally hear you, but I love the I, I love the matte black on it. That's awesome. Thank you. Very yeah, cool. They make me feel very witchy. I love them. Sorry, I did not mean anyway. to completely go off no, topic you're there. Fine. <laughs> Um, so I've been trying to broaden my mind, especially outside of the white textbook, African-American history. Yes. So I've been trying to definitely kind of delve or dive into kind of what the true African-American history of America is. Um, a few years ago I did the African-American History Museum in Washington, D.C. Nice. And it was phenomenal. And from there I actually learned a lot more about the story of Emmett Till, Okay, um, you're going to have to remind me who he is. Yes. So Emmett Till was a 14-year-old boy who was visiting the South from Chicago. Okay. He went on a trip with his uncle, and he went to a grocery store or bypassed a grocery store that a white woman was in, and she accused him of whistling at her. Oh. And three days later, he was found brutally murdered. Jesus. Yes. So I wanted to dive into the story of Emmett Till. Okay. Um, so bear with me. It is going to be quite graphic in detail, but it is going to kind of go over the Jim Crow era, okay. civil, civil rights movements, but also the story of Emmett Till, which actually kind of boosted Martin Luther King into um, – Doing his, the, movement. So, his movement. Yeah. So, so uh, going forward, listener be uh, listener discretion is advised yes. for this one. So, um, backstory of Emmett Till. Um, Emmett Till was just 14 years old in 1955 when a white woman accused him of wolf whistling at her in a store in Mississippi. Um, this alleged act would cost the young black boy his life just a few days later when the woman's husband and half-brother beat him so severely that he was unrecognized unrecognizable before shooting him in the head. Oh, Jesus. Uh, The men responsible for the crime had multiple witnesses and mountains of evidence stacked against them, but in an unsurprising decision, all too common in the Jim Crow era, an all-white jury cleared them of all charges. Of course. Um, Even though Emmett Till's life ended far too soon and far too brutally, his story was just the beginning. Uh... Soon, the entire country would know Till's name and see the grotesque remains of the boy's body plastered across the front pages. Oh, my God. These images, as grisly as they were, caused thousands of people to devote themselves to the civil rights movement and embark on a mission to change the future of the United States forever. Well, that's, that's good. At least that came out of it. Yes. Um, so a little backstory on Emmett. Um, Emmett's full name is Emmett Louis Till. He, he was born on July 25th in 1941 in Chicago, Illinois. 
He was the only child of Lewis and Mammy Till, but never knew his father because because he uh, um, he had passed away in World War II. Okay. Um, Till was raised by his single mother, who often worked twelve-hour days as a clerk for the Air Force to support to support herself and her son. Um, when he was younger, he did contract polio. Okay. But he recovered. However, he did develop a slight stutter, which I don't know if that could have been a thing that caused the woman to think maybe... Possibly, yeah. And that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, he was known to be a happy, um, fun-loving, very kind child. So because of this, something like this happening was just shocking. Yeah. Uh, so as we know, the Jim Crow in life in the Jim Crow South was mm-hmm. not a pleasant one for anyone who had the skin color other than white. Yeah. Um, pretty much it was hell if you lived in the South. Yeah. That is why his family lived in the North. <laughs> um. Many African-Americans moved north to escape the Jim Crow and settled in cities where restrictions were not as tight and the racism was not as all-encompassing as it was in the South. Mm. Um, Emmett Till's family was one that had moved, more, had moved north, but when he ventured into the South in the summer of 1955, he quickly discovered that it was kind of a place... It, uh, it was not kind for people like him. Yeah. Uh, so in August of 1955, um, Emmett Till's great uncle uh, actually journeyed from Mississippi to Chicago to visit the family. And towards the end of his stay, uh, his uncle said that he was going to take Emmett Till's cousin with him, but Emmett wanted to go as well okay. to go and visit. So after much reluct- reluctantness from his mother, mm-hmm. um, she finally said, yes, you can go. Oh, man. Which would turn out yeah, to be... like one of something that she would probably... Definitely, re- yes. Oof, that's awful. Um, so it was Till's first time ever visiting the South, and uh, his mother made sure to let him know that life in the South was very much different than what it was in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, According to Time magazine, she did tell her son to be very careful, to humble himself to the extent of getting down on his knees when needed. Oh, wow. Yes. Um, So just three days into his trip with his uncle and his cousin in Mississippi on August 24th, 1955, Till and a group of his friends entered Bryant's grocery store and meat market. Okay. Uh, It is unclear precisely what happened inside the grocery store, but allegedly Till bought some bubblegum and either whistled or flirted with or touched the hand of the store's white female clerk, Carol Bryant, whose husband, Roy, owned the store. Oh, man. Uh, When Carol, or sorry, when Carolyn reported her story to Roy, he flew into a rage. Um. Roy Bryant returned home from a business trip a few days after the alleged incident between Till and his wife. And after his wife told him what happened, Roy grabbed his half-brother and headed to Wright's house where Till was staying. Early in the morning on August 28, 1955, the men barged into Wright's home and demanded to see Till. Oh, Jesus. They dragged him out of bed and ordered him into the back of their pickup truck. And Wright pleaded with them to leave him alone, stating that he's only 14 and he's from up north. Yeah. Uh, 
he did state, why not just give the boy a whipping and leave it at that, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Because at this time, white people got away with doing a lot of shit. (laughs) Yeah, they literally got away with murder. Yes. Um, uh, Wright's wife even offered them money, but they scolded her and told her to return to bed. Wright, um, his uncle Wright, led the men through the house to till when um, Milliam, the brother-in-law or the half-brother, sorry, Mm -hmm. uh, turned to him, how old are you, preacher, and threatened Wright. Wright responded that he was 64, and if you make any trouble, you'll never live to see 65, that sort of thing. Oh, Jesus. The men then kidnapped and savagely beat the 14-year-old boy. Once they ceased beating him beyond recognition, they shot him in the head. Then to keep Till's body hidden, they tied a 75-pound cotton gin to his neck with barbed wire, hoping it would weigh him down, and then they tossed his body into the... Tallahatchie River. Oh, my freaking God. Yes. Um, I do have pictures of what Emmett Till looks like after okay. his uh, beating beyond recognition. Holy mother of God, that poor child. Yes. That is... Mm, if you guys do decide to look that up, please make sure you do so with caution. Yes, it is not... Not safe for work. It is really not safe for anything. But yeah. this this story, the reason that I chose it is because we really do need to shine a light on shit like this because yeah. it, it's kind of happening again. It is. I mean, it's not as hidden as it was. So we really need to mm-hmm. step up our game as our privileged white selves to make sure shit like this does not happen True. to our... Brothers and sisters. Exactly. It's literally what I consider them. Yeah. Um, so basically, um, there was a witness to the murder. It was an 18 year old, um, man named Willie. Um, he witnessed some of the event and heard screams belonging to Emmett Till while all this is happening. Um, the next day Reed was approached by a white man with a gun who said, boy, did you see anything to which Reed said no? And the man asked again, well, did you hear anything? Reed said, who Feared for his life. Yeah. No. Again. Uh, Wright waited up to see what happened to Emmett Till, and when he failed to return home, Wright set out in search for him. Now, remember, Wright is his uncle. Yeah. Um, three days later, Till's corpse was recovered from the Tallahatchie River, and the boy was so badly beaten that Wright could only identify him from the init- um, initialed ring that his mother had given him on his hand. Oh, my gosh. Right before the trip. Um. So... After all this happened and Emmett Till's mother was informed, uh, Mammy Till requested to have her son's remains sent back home to Chicago. Upon seeing her son's mutilated body, Mammy decided to hold an open casket. Oh, wow. um, For her son so that the whole world could see what they did to him. I mean, I can totally understand that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mammy also invited magazines, newspaper articles, and... All African American um, run yeah. businesses pretty much came. They're like, look, this is what is happening. Is happened, and this we is need w- to stop this. Exactly. Um, they did attend the funeral, and they took pictures of Till's unrecognizable body, and soon published the horrific photos. And the country took notice. Good. Uh, not even two weeks after his body was buried, Roy Bryant and J. W. Milliam were on trial for the murder of Emmett Till. Where. There was several witnesses to the killer's actions that night, and they were thus the obvious suspects for Till's murder and quickly apprehended. Mm -hmm. 
When the trial began in September of 1955, the national and international press, uh, international press came to Sumner, Mississippi to cover the events. Moses Wright, Willie Reed, and others sacrificed their safety and their lives to testify against the two white men in court. Oh, wow. Saying that the men were indeed Till's killers. Um, meanwhile, Carolyn Bryant gave a fiery testimony accusing Till of verbally threatening her and grabbing her. Bryant's statement was all that the white jury needed to hear. Are you serious? Yes. They barely took one hour to exonerate Till's murderers as Bryant and Milliam were acquitted of all charges, including kidnapping and murder. That's fucked up. That is not... One, however, I do have to state that one juror remarked that it would have taken even less time if they had not stopped and gotten a soda to come up with their verdict. Are you serious? Yep. However... Less than one year later, in January of 1956, Bryant and Milliam would confess to murdering Till in a Look mag magazine article titled The Shocking Story of Approved Killing in Mes Mississippi. Jesus. The men got $4,000 for selling their story. Are you serious? Yes. Um, now, the fuck? The story in this magazine is very, very racist. I can imagine. So I'm not going to say it or go over it, but yeah. I will have to say that reading the first paragraph made me want to go out and beat the living sh out of these two men. Oh, Jesus. You know what's crazy? Like, that's th basically the year that my mom was born, mm -hmm. like around the time that my parents were born. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting here like, this isn't something that happened like a very, very long time ago. It's not. This is something that happened like within at least your parents' lifetime, which is just... That's insane. Yeah. Emmett Till was born the same year as my grandmother. Jesus. Um, so, like I said, uh, Mammy Till decided to display her son's body in an open casket for the world to see, and this did basically start the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. um, they couldn't, pretty much the nation saw these images, and they couldn't take it any longer. Yeah. They had to stand up and do something. Um, so... Just a few months after Emmett Till's murder, Rosa Parks refused to give up her bus seat and started the Montgomery bus boycott, which many people believe marked the start of the civil rights movement in earnest. Uh, Reverend J Jesse Jackson even told Vanity Fair that Parks informed him that Till was a huge factor in her deciding to not give up her seat. Awesome. Um, putting in perspective pretty much putting it into perspective. If Rosa Parks showed the potential of defiance, some historians say Emmett Till's death warned of a, of a bleak future without it. Yeah. So, yes. And I did want to actually say that um, in the 1970s, mm -hmm. uh, Carol Bryant actually confessed that he didn't do anything. Wow. Yeah. It was either the 70s or maybe it was a lot sooner than that. Maybe it was the 90s. I remember it being very, very, very recent where she was like, yeah. where she was like, actually, none of that happened. But um, I do want to state, um, because it's something that's constantly happening over and over again, especially yeah. in the South and in Mississippi, uh, Emmett Till's sign that is at the um, Tallahatchie River, mm -hmm. where his body was found, is constantly, constantly vandalized the with bullet, ho bullet holes and stuff like that. And they've it's gotten to the point where... They are constantly replacing it in the state of Mississippi, oh the black God. communities. Um, but the 
white youth of today and maybe even the older whites in yeah. the area are the ones vandalizing it. Um, people have posted to social media of them shooting the sign and stuff like that as well. Uh, so in 2018, I believe they made a bulletproof sign. Oh, okay. Wow. And somebody painted over it. (laughs) (laughs) Immature assholes. Exactly. But I did want to state that without Emmett Till's death, it really wouldn't have started the civil rights movement as soon as it did. It did. So even though it was, even though it was, (laughs) it's such a bullshit death. It's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's bullshit that he had to die that way. Exactly. Because and just being 14 years old, his first time visiting his poor mother, like, this is the world that we're in, you guys. Like, yeah. we have to make a stand. We have to do better. Yeah. That's insane. Um, but yes, that is the story of Emmett Till and how he helped start the civil rights movement. Wow. That is insane. Thank you so much You're for welcome. that. Because I've heard the name. I just... Mm-hmm. Um, didn't really know the history. So thank you so much for You're welcome. That. And awesome. I would like to suggest to all readers, or all readers, all listeners, to definitely update your reading with the actual African-American history of the United States. It's yeah. a lot darker than what our textbooks taught us. Well, of course, everything is um, a lot darker than what our textbooks... Uh, I would also say definitely visit the African-American History Museum in Washington, D.C. if you ever get the chance, because it really is... It's eye-opening. I was going to say, yeah. It's, I think it's seven levels of history. That's insane. That's awesome. And it starts all the way from the beginning. Wow. And so I say definitely go. If you have people who (laughs) need help understanding this better, take them. Yeah. We need to do better and educate. We need to educate. Definitely. So I wanted to get that out, and I kind of want to say that because – even though February is Black History Month, get familiar with it just in everyday life. Exactly. So that is why I chose Emmett Till's story. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that You're with welcome. us. That's awesome. All right. Well, this rounds out another episode of Cheers from the Grave. Stephanie, where can they find us? They can find us at Twitter at Cheers from Grave, Instagram at Cheers from the Grave, Facebook at Cheers from the Grave, and you can also check us out at our website at www.cheersfromthegrave.com. Also, if you have any listener stories or experiences or anything like that that you'd like to share with us, please email them to cheersfromthegrave at gmail.com. We unfortunately haven't had any emails come through to us lately for any type of listener stories, so... Um, it's kind of putting off a listener's episode that we would like to do. So without yes. those listener stories of any type of hauntings or true crime or anything like that, please feel free to send that in an email, yes. and we would love to read it on air. Um, also with that, if you have any um, topic ideas that you would like us to cover or go, on, go into more depth with, please also email us or reach out to us at any social media platform. Yes, please. We are here. And um, I typically respond fairly quickly to um, any type of messages or anything. So, And I would respond, except I have no idea how to use technology. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Um, you can also find all of these links um, at our Linktree account. It's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash C-F-T-G. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Almost got the sex there. Um, all that information can be found in our show notes um, attached to this programming. So 
Um, oh, yeah. Also, Patreon, uh, if you like what we do and you want to help support us, um, we do have a Patreon account. Um, so it's Trios from the Grave on there. We also have a Kofi account as well. All that is found in our Linktree account. Uh, Kofi is a one-time donation type of deal. Um, Patreon is a monthly occurrence. So, um, yeah, if you would like to support us, uh, those are a couple ways to support us. Yes. So we would like to do more. Um, I know that we at some, our dream is to do a live show. That is one of our goals. Yes. Um, so yeah, we can't do that without your help. So of course we also need to be good on our end. With <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Not showing up, uh, the day of and being like, Oh, what are we going to talk about? <laughs> Shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but anyway, um, yeah, thanks again for listening. We really do appreciate you guys and we love everybody so much. So thank you for keeping this going. Yes. Yay. All right. Well, I'm Erica. I'm Stephanie. And you're listening to? Cheers from the grave.